0: Facts, candid conversations, and some levity to lighten your day. This is The
1: Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio.
0: A wonderful Wednesday to you. It's January the 24th, 2024. This is The Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. 888-914-9149 is the number to call. Toll free to talk to me. 888-914-9149. Our listener line sponsored by the Catholic Order of Foresters Life Insurance. And of course, you can also email the show, klcale at relevantradio.com. And you can also find me on the X app at Kale Clark, C-A-L-E, Clark with an E. So once again, that number to call, 888 Faith, Facts, and Fun. It's the Kale Clark Show. We're going to talk about the parable of the sower. That's a gospel reading today. Which soil are you? Great question, because there's really only two possibilities for you. I think, I think for most of you out there, but we'll uh, we'll get into that later. It's also the Feast Day of Saint Francis de Sales, um, patron saint of shoppers. Everyone loves sales, right? And big box stores and deals. No, that's not what he's all about. He is all about the faith. And I'll tell you what he he is an amazing, amazing saint who is so relevant for our time. I'm also going to throw a few other things in here for you today. This is really great. I've got a segment featuring marriage advice from couples who have been married for at least fifty years. These are real life people who have been married for at least fifty years. So if you are married, this is going to help. Uh, if you aspire to be married, you're going to want to be all ears for this one. Believe me, because uh, there are some pearls. They're going to be dropping some pearls of wisdom for you. It's going to be really good and a little bit funny too. So that and much more coming up on the show. Triple eight nine one four. 9149. I do want to start with today's gospel just because I tell you, this is so powerful, the parable of the sower. And most most people who who have interpreted the parable of the sower have have got this right. they pretty much got it right. But let's just um, pick off the reading here. This is from Mark chapter 4 in today's gospel. It says, On another occasion, Jesus began to teach by the sea. A very large crowd gathered around him so that he got into a boat on the sea and sat down. Now, it says the whole crowd was beside the sea on the on the land. Now, why would he do this? Why does he have to get into a boat? Well, because as we've seen, if you if you look at Mark's gospel, so many people want to be healed, so many people want to be exercised of their demons. And Jesus does as much of that as he possibly can, but there's only so much he can do because it, and this, there's a scene earlier in the gospel where he spent the entire night the night before at Peter's house in Capernaum exercising demons, healing people, and he's out in the morning. He's praying. He's doing his mental prayer, if you will, and Peter and his companions hunted for him. They finally find him, and they, and they say, what are you doing? There's so many people waiting to be healed. There's a huge crowd gathered again. Get back there. And he's like, no, 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 we're moving on to the next town because I have been sent To preach the gospel, most of all, the message of the kingdom of God. And the healings, the exorcisms are it's good because it it backs up the truth of my message. But in the ancient world of Jesus' day, about 25% of the people were very, very sick at any given time, really sick. So he's a one-man walking healthcare clinic. He just touched the fringe of his garment, the tassels on his garment, and you would be healed. So he he wants to keep the main thing, the main thing. And so he has to get out um, on, on a boat and you know, press out from the shore a little bit. It's a method of crowd control because he wants them to at least take a beat, take a pause and listen to the message. So this is what he says. Hear this, hear this. A sower went out to sow and as he sowed, some seed fell on the path and the birds came and ate it up. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it had little soil. It sprang up at once because the soil was not deep. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and it withered for lack of root. Some seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it produced no grain. And some seed fell on rich soil and produced fruit. It came up and grew and yielded thirty, sixty, and a hundredfold. He added, Whoever has ears to hear ought to hear. And when he was alone, those present along with the twelve questioned him about the parables. He answered them, the mystery of the Kingdom of God has been granted to you, but to those outside, everything comes in parables, so that they may look and see but not perceive and hear and listen, but not understand in order that they may not be converted and be forgiven now at this point as you're listening to this you're probably scratching your head a little bit. Why Why would the Lord not want anybody to listen and be forgiven? That doesn't make any sense well, you got to understand the context of. Of what he's saying here. We'll get to that in just a second. Then Jesus says to them, do you not understand this parable? Then how will you understand any of the parables? The sower sows the Word. These are the ones on the path where the Word is sown. As soon as they hear, Satan comes at once and takes away the Word sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground who, when they hear the Word, receive it at once with joy, but they have no roots. They last only for a time. Then, When tribulation or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Those sown among thorns are another sort. They are the people who hear the word, but worldly anxiety, the lure of riches, and the craving for other things intrude and choke the word, and it bears no fruit. But those sown on rich soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit 30 and 60 and fold. So Jesus has essentially, you, you got to, if you don't understand this parable, you'll never understand any of the parables. And Jesus did use parables as a teaching tool big time in his ministry. And that's for a particular reason, as we'll discover. So it's kind of interesting that Mark points out that he's preaching to the crowds, but then in, in private, in the house, in Peter's house, perhaps, then he explains everything to them. So this is a metaphor for the church. It's, it's within the church that we get the understanding, the true understanding of of jesus's message we we really need the magisterium the teaching office of the church to, to guide us and as has been noted by so many really this parable it's called the parable of the sower but it's really the parable of the soils because there are four different types of soil and, and these are really human hearts how, how well disposed is our heart uh, for the the seed that is the word of god and so it's interesting that um he teaches in parables because they're 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 not quite grasped. The meaning is not quite uh, grasped by the crowd, and it's it's non literal speech here. and And the reason why Jesus does this, as he as he'll will kind of explain here, because there are there are outsiders who don't really want to believe, so they get riddles. But if your heart is open, you can understand the parable. If if your heart is closed, it, it becomes an enigma, and, and there's been so many people who have studied Mark's gospel and they, they have this motif. They think There's something called the messianic secret. It's not true that Jesus is trying to keep it some sort of a secret that he's the Messiah. He, he is the Messiah. He knows he's the Messiah. He wants other people to know it. That's why he's doing what he's doing. And if you have eyes to see and ears to hear, you'll get it. But if you're not well disposed, you won't get it. And, and Jesus doesn't want people who are ill disposed to kind of get it because that could be dangerous for him at this point. He's not trying to keep it a secret, but he does know that if he comes out and says flat out, yeah, I'm the Messiah, that could be politically dangerous. Um, part of why he gets killed and crucified is for political reasons. Oh, he's a rival to Caesar. You got to get rid of this guy. So Jesus knows the the danger and, and he's not going to allow that to to impact he's got to complete his ministry first before he he goes to the cross and what's it's also intriguing too is that jesus is is not pulling this stuff sort of out of thin air these are scriptural motifs jesus knows the old testament very very well imagine that if you look at isaiah chapter 6 verses 9 and 10 and this is by the way the the famous vision that isaiah has in the temple he says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne high and lofty. The hem of his robe filled the temple. And he talks about the seraphim. Seraphs were in attendance above him. Each had six wings. With two, they covered their faces. With two, they covered their feet. With two, they flew. And one called to another and said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And it says, the pivots on the, thresh, on the thresholds shook at the voices of those who called. And the house filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. Yet my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And then one of the seraphim flew to him. It says, Holding a live coal that had been taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. The seraph touched my mouth. I don't know if it was a Kingsford charcoal barbecue or what was going on there, Weber. But uh, there's, a, there's a tongue, there's a live coal. Touches uh, the tongue uh, of Isaiah. <sighs> you know, the seraph touches his mouth with it and, and says, Now that this has touched your lips, your guilt has departed and your sin is blotted out. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? For us. It's interesting that God would say that. It's kind of like, yeah, maybe the Trinity. Us, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Who will go for us? And I said, Here am I, send me. And now this is the part we gotta, we got to really pay attention to. So this is Isaiah chapter 6, verse 9 and following. And he said, go and say to this people, keep listening, but do not comprehend. Keep looking, but do not understand. Make the mind of this people dull and stop their ears and shut their eyes so that they may not look with their eyes and listen with their hearts and comprehend with their minds and turn and be healed. So why would God not want them to do this? Then I said, this is Isaiah now. Then I said, how long, O Lord? And he said, until cities lie waste without inhabitants and houses without people. And the land is utterly desolate until the Lord sends everyone far away. And vast is the emptiness in the midst of the land. Even if a tenth part remain in it, it will be burned again like a terebinth or an oak whose stump remains standing when it is felled. The holy seed is its stump. Now, it's very interesting that, that that same kind of language of the mind of the people are dull, they have eyes that, that don't see, ears that don't hear, we, we don't want them to, to turn and look and listen and turn and be healed. D- does God not want people to be healed? Of course he does. So, what, what does this really mean? It's kind of interesting, too, that this uh, chapter in Isaiah kind of finishes with talk of the holy seed. And, and Jesus gives this parable of the sower. What is the holy seed? Well, Jesus says, I'm giving it out right now. This is the message of the kingdom. Isaiah's prophecy is kind of really coming true in, in, in me. And in, in the synagogues of Jesus's day, they they spoke this language called Aramaic. So there was an Aramaic translation of the scriptures, or it's kind of like a paraphrase. They were called the Targums. And when you read this Isaiah passage in the Targums, it's even more, uh, it's even more intense Um Make fat the heart, you know, shut the ears, glue shut the eyes. We don't want people to see this. It's a word of judgment, really. That, that's what's going on here. And so this is a kind of a dismal commission for Isaiah to have to go preach this. You know, send me, but here's what I got to preach. You know, we want your ears closed, we want your eyes glued shut so that you don't turn and, and repent. But, but there's going to be a remnant at, at the end of this. So what, what's going on here? Now, people, people are sort of closing their own ears and gluing their own eyes shut, if you will. It's not so much that God is doing this, but people have decided to reject God. And that, that's essentially what, what's going on here. And you could also look at Jesus is referencing Jeremiah chapter four, verse three. There's so many of Jesus' parables that come from the Bible, come from the, from the prophets. So the, 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 the whole point of the parable of the sower is reflecting what Isaiah was talking about here in Isaiah chapter 6, that not everybody's going to listen. So Jesus didn't fail. And that that is true in our own day as well. The majority of people, unfortunately, are not going to listen to the message of Jesus Christ. And we wish that were not the case, but it's true. Jesus says that very broad is the road that lead destru- that leads to destruction, and many will find it, but very narrow is the gate, narrow is the road that leads to eternal life. But the, another thing that Jesus says though, is that if you, if you are well disposed, if your heart is well disposed, if you've got good soil, then you will be responsive to Jesus's teaching. And not only that, you'll actually get more insight into it. And And, and this is a, a truth that's uh, claimed in a lot more of his parables as well. Uh, the measure for measure parable, the measure you give will be the measure you get. And, and, and even In another gospel, in John chapter 7, Jesus kind of says it another way. In John 7, 17, he says, If anyone obeys my teaching, he will know whether or not I came from God. So, in other words, the proof of the pudding is in the eating. If you're open to the teaching of Christ, you will be given understanding if your heart is open to it, if your heart is well disposed. And if you start doing it, you're going to understand it more and more and more because you'll see how it coheres with reality. It dovetails with the truth. It is the truth. And it makes sense. It works. It absolutely works. So the the seed, the seed of the kingdom, and, and later on, Mark, he's going to talk about the mustard seed. It seems so small and insignificant. Probably referring to his own preaching. It, no, and the world scene. Nobody really knew about who who is this guy, this obscure preacher in Galilee, and his ragtag band of apostles his group would dominate the world scene. It's going to grow, just like the mustard seed grows into a big tree. The church is going to, to grow and kind of dominate. So, but what's interesting, too, is that the, um, just to talk about the, the different soils, really, there's, for people that are already in the Catholic Church, and, and uh, Dr. John Bergsma mentioned this on his um, podcast this morning, uh, Letters from Home, from the St. Paul Center. He was talking about this, and he said, look, if you look at these, these four types— the the first type is the one on the path. The sower sows the word, the seed goes on the path, and then as soon as the you know the, the birds come and eat it up, this is like Satan taking the away the word. It never it never actually begins to to sprout, germinate, never gets buried in the soil. What about the rocky ground? Those who receive it with joy, it sounds really awesome at the beginning, but they have no roots. They last only for a time. When tribulation, persecution shows up because of the word, they quickly fall away. And we all we have all known people like this that got super excited about the Catholic message. And I've known people that've gone through the entire RCIA program, and then a week after Easter, they don't go to church anymore. Can you imagine this? So there's that, and 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 then there are these last two groups. These are the ones that kind of have to concern most of us, because if you're in the church, then you can really only be one of these two these two types of soil: the soil that is choked or in danger of being choked falling among thorns. Jesus says some seed falls among the thorns. The thorns grew up and choked it and it produced no grain. In other words, the plant's still there, but it's not fruitful. And then some seed falls on rich soil, produces fruit, and it comes up and grows and yields 30, 60, 100 fold, a great crop. There's great fruitfulness there. And and really, we're only one of those those two groups in the church. And and, and sometimes really at various points in our life, we're, we're, we are all of those soils at some point. Maybe some of us there was a time when we weren't in the church and we were super resistant to God's word, like the the seed on the path. But when you're in the church, obviously if you're having a great fruitful Catholic experience, that's awesome. You know, keep it up. But most of us are kind of in this third category. Uh, we're, we're, we're among thorns and we're, we're kind of choked out by all the competitors in our life uh, to the word of Christ, the lure of wealth, uh, The materialism that's out there, um, gadgets, the human mind is a factory of idols, as one author wrote. Anything can be a competitor to the true and living God, the desire for fame, the desire for other things. This is what we have to fight against all the time. And it's something that, you know, as John Bergman said, something we should really take to our prayer. What are the thorns in my life? And what do I really need to weed out? We have to have the courage to ask God to, to uproot these things, to give room for the plant to, to, to kind of rise up and, and give that that fruit that, that can feed the people around us, the, the fruit of the gospel, and, and give shade, you know, the shade leaves, give rest and respite to people in, the, in this culture that, that need it so badly. So I, I just thought I'd mention that because um, it's such a famous parable, and, and, and understanding that the heart of the parables and why Jesus taught in parables is so key. If you are open, if your heart is open to God's truth, you're gonna get more. But if it's not open, he respects your freedom. He respects your freedom. And he respects your your freedom to turn away. It breaks his heart, but he will let you go. He will let you go. And that's that's the drama of human life, once again. So I'm curious to hear what you guys think about this. Questions, comments, triple eight nine one four-nine one four nine. And when we come back, I'm gonna give you that marriage advice that I promised you from couples that have been married. For over 50 years. This is really good practical stuff. We'll have this on The Kale Clark Show right after this, 888-914-9149.
1: It's the Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app.
0: Hey, welcome back to the program, 888-914-9149. It's a Wednesday in January, Feast of St. Francis de Sales. And listen, we're going to try to perk you up with some really great advice Uh, for those of you who are married, maybe thinking about becoming married. This is really, really good stuff. We need to learn from those who have gone before us. And this year, by the way, in March, my wife and I, Trish and I will be celebrating our 19th wedding anniversary. That is kind of a scary thought. If we had had, uh, you know, I thought I'd have 10 kids by now, that wasn't God's plan. But if we had had a child right away, uh, that child would be in college right now. That's that's unbelievable. That is unbelievable. But I, I feel like I'm just getting going. I feel like I need all the advice I can get. And um, one of the guys I follow on on social media is Sahil Bloom, a writer, entrepreneur. He's a really interesting guy. And he actually had a wedding anniversary as well recently. And sort of as he was kind of approaching that date, he asked a bunch of couples, real life couples who have been married for over 50 years, what advice they would give to their younger selves. And this is good for, for any of us, really. So here's some relationship advice. Uh, from couples who have been married for over 50 years. And maybe they've missed something important. So if you think they've missed anything, call in. If you want to add to this list, uh, 888-914-9149. Okay, so here's number one. Tell your partner that you love them every night before falling asleep. Because someday you'll find the other side of the bed empty and you'll wish that you could. Okay. Number two. Number two, never keep score in love. Never keep score in love. And this is this is like pretty much going to be all secular marriage advice. So, you know, there's obviously a lot that's missing on, on the spiritual side, but it's all still really uh, actionable and practical. Number three, laugh until you cry. Laughing together goes a long way to smooth the inevitable bumps in the road. Okay, so that's number three. And again, this is marriage advice from couples married for at least 50 years. Number four, never stop dating. And this one gentleman who, who replied to this might, might have been the oldest person in the survey. He was 99 years old and, he's, and his wife is still, still alive as well. Can you believe this? He said, uh, I'm 99 and I'm still courting my wife. Marriages don't get boring. You stop trying. Well, Ooh, that, that's, Ooh, that's a, that's a, that's a shot to many of us, right? I'm 99. I'm still courting my wife. Marriages don't get boring, but you stop trying. Do you guys partake in that? Do you have a weekly date night, a regular date night with your spouse? Try to make that happen. That That's a good one. Number five, do one act of service for your partner, for your spouse every day, but never tell them about it. Kind of a, a secret Santa type of thing, you know, um, Hey, you know, how did the dishes get magically cleaned? Do one act of service for your partner every day, but never tell them about it. It's kind of interesting. Number six, I'd be tempted to take the credit. I'd be like, hey, hey, did you notice the uh, kitchen counter, how sparkly it is? Um, number six, time does not heal when it comes to relationships. Don't delay difficult conversations. that That's an interesting one. I, I think that's a really interesting point because, we do have a tendency to want to put off those tough conversations because maybe we don't know quite how to handle it. We don't know how to do it. We don't know how to, what to say. And um, maybe we hope things will just go away. But those difficult conversations need to be had. And um, if you put it off, it usually gets worse. Just like going to, a do- to the doctor. If you keep putting it off, you know you have to go. The problem, the pain is not going to go away. So I wonder what you guys think about that. Next one, number seven, don't fear sadness as it tends to sit right next to love. That's intriguing. I'm not sure quite what that means. And again, these are kind of out of context in a certain sense. These are pieces of marriage advice from couples who have been married for over 50 years. Number eight, no one has ever argued their way into a happy marriage. Does that resonate with any of you? No one has ever argued their way into a happy marriage number nine number nine it can't always be 50 50 sometimes it will be 90 10 sometimes it will be 10 90 all that matters is that it adds up to 100 i know what this this person means by this of course um and uh they're not talking about the sort of uh Jerry Maguire look at marriage. If you remember that film, of course, you complete me. And, and this whole idea that maybe together, you know, maybe I'm a sixty you percent know, and, you, and you're at forty percent, and we'll we'll be a complete one hundred percent unit. That's really not the way it should be. It should be instead of you know fifty and fifty make a hundred or some combination of the two, it should be one times one. You know, let's let's look at look at the times tables instead of the addition, um, the plus sign. It should be one times one equals one, right? That that's that's the way it really should be. Uh, com- we should be complete um, and, and mature going into this thing, ideally. Ideally, but I, I don't think that's really what this what this uh, particular point is about. I think it's about there are there are times when one spouse has to carry the burden more so than than another spouse does. It's just kind of the way it is, um, and it could be because of illness. It could be beca- in many different areas. It could be work. It could be all kinds of duties, child rearing. It can't always be 50, 50. Sometimes it will be 90, 10, maybe for, for a whole season of your life. Um, sometimes 10, 90, all, all that matters is that it adds up to 100. And and producer Jim says, my dad used to say that one all the time. This particular one, Jim, this, this, that's right. Yep. The numbers game. Yeah. That's, Mm -hmm. that's, I, I think it's, I think it's, I think it's a truism. I think it's a truism. All right, let's go to uh, number 10. And by the way, Jim, if you think of any other things your dad said about marriage, I'd love to hear them because your dad was like ever so quotable. Um, Unbelievable uh, sayings that you're always telling me from your dad. All right, so number 10. These These are pieces of advice from couples who have been married for over 50 years, at least some of them for many more. Number 10, maintain interests and passions separate from your spouse. Marriage should not be the end of individuality. You know, I know I know some people that do. They literally do everything with their spouse. They do everything with their spouse. Uh, they play pickleball together. They 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 watch the same movies. They they watch sports together. They hey, if you can find a spouse that does that, it, holy grail right there. But uh, they they go they go to mass together. They go to prayer meetings together. They do everything together. I don't know if that's a hundred percent a hundred percent healthy. I mean, it might be good to do some things. On your own? Other interests? I don't know. I wonder what you guys think about this. 888 and 9149 We'll get your calls in just a moment on the Kale Clark Show. Number 11. When in doubt, love. We can always use more love. Number 12. If your relationship has a minor issue, repair it. Repair it. Because minor issues become major issues over time. I think that's, that's wise. That's wise. Number 13. Never raise your voice with your partner. Number fourteen, every relationship is a work in progress. The mutual desire for improvement is what builds a lifelong bond. Okay. Number fifteen, you cannot take care of your spouse if you aren't taking care of yourself. That's that's an interesting one. I think that that is applicable to different areas of our life: our spiritual life, uh, our physical life. If we are not taking care of our health, for example, we're not going to be there for the other person or for our kids. And, and sometimes the only thing that motivates people to, to get their lives in order, it's, it's not them. It's it's for someone else. I need to get healthy for the sake of my spouse or for the sake of my kids. I want to be there for them when they're older. Spiritually speaking, saying you have to, like on a plane, and we've seen doors blow off of planes recently and sides blow. You know, put your own oxygen mask on first before you pass out, and then you can help the person next to you. Number 16, is it more important to be right or to be married? (laughs) Stubborn pride is the downfall of relationships. Hmm. Okay, this is marriage advice from those married over half a century. Number 17, always be quick to say, I'm sorry. Number 18, don't sweat the small stuff. If there's something bothering you, ask yourself this question. Is this going to matter in one month from now? If not, let it go right now. Don't sweat the small stuff. Number 19. start every day with a hug or a kiss. It's a simple reminder of your love that goes a long way. Okay. Number 20. there's just a few more here, just a couple more. Take pride in building a family with strong values. Create ripples that last. Number 21, marriage takes this is a, this is woo this is this is this could be a hot topic for some of you. Number 21. Marriage takes priority over your birth family. Remember that when the two are in conflict. Okay, so this this new marriage, this new family that you founded, takes priority over your family of origin. Remember that when the two are in conflict. And hopefully most of the time they're not, but there are times when they might be. There are times when they might be. Number 22. Number 22. Never involve a non-professional third party such as parents, friends, siblings, co-workers, in disagreements. You'll forget about it, but they won't. So Producer Jim, I promise I'm not going to pull you into, uh, I'm not going to make you referee my, uh, my, my marriage uh, disagreements anymore, okay? So it's okay. So don't pull your co-workers into these things, your friends, your siblings, your parents. Never involve a non-professional third party in disagreements. Can you come referee this for me? Yeah, you'll, you, yeah, they'll never forget this. Okay, that, that's, that's, I think that's pretty good advice. I think that's pretty good advice. Number 23, keep doing the little things. A note under the pillow, a surprise bouquet, a peck on the cheek. Romance never goes out of style. Number 24, know that your love will be tested, but that each test has the potential to leave it stronger. That's, that's a good good that's a good, good point. Number 25, it doesn't have to be perfect for it to be wonderful. Uh, you know, I, I'm somebody who definitely struggles with perfectionism and, um, that can be rough. That can be rough. Number 26, your love. All right. I'm not gonna do that one. That's, that's a dumb one. Um, my favorite, my favorite, this is according to Sahil Bloom. When in doubt, love. We can always use more love. So the participants in the study, um, were from the, they're, were, they're were as young as 70 and as old as 99. And they're, they're real life couples. And, uh, he, he did add this this one extra tip uh from a guy who was 90 years old one of the one of the uh whew, he, one of the older people in the survey 90 90 years old he's been married for 65 years um, and uh, he actually said um, start every day with a kiss and more and more okay hey well that's that's uh that's pretty good advice there maybe um so um, there you go there you go. I, I think this is um this is intriguing. So I, I'm wondering what you guys think about this advice from couples who've been married for more than 50 years. Would you add anything to that? Did they miss anything important? Let me know. Triple eight nine one four nine one four nine. We'll be right back with your phone calls right after this brief little break here on the Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. This
1: is the Kale Clark Show giving you the confidence you need to bring the faith into everyday life
0: oh uh, welcome back to the program we're, we're having a lot of fun here 888-914-9149 is the number to call 888 toll free sponsored by the catholic order forester's life insurance and um, I, I might need some insurance of some sort we're talking about tips on marriage from couples who've been married for at least 50 years the oldest guy in the survey was 99 his wife is still alive too unbelievable and a great advice, and maybe you guys want to add something to the list, uh, something that they might have missed. Triple eight nine one four nine one four nine. I got a call from my wife during the break, and she said, "Hey, I was listening, and I kn- I know you're trying to get a message to me there, Kayla. Number six, number fourteen, number twenty-seven. I, I heard you, I heard you, and uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess uh, I was I was it wasn't so uh, I was too transparent there, but I want to really hear what you guys think here. Triple eight nine one four nine one four nine and we're gonna try to talk about St. Francis de Sales too very very big big time saint of the day Uh, let's go to Rudy on line two in Orange County Rudy 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 come on Rudy what do you you got for me hey hey Caleb
1: Uh, Rudy from Disney you remember me yeah absolutely called (laughs) thanks actually uh, it was on your first topic about how to keep the soil going And what I did Mm, is a retreat called Curcio. I don't know if you've heard about it. I have heard of it. Yeah. Okay. So after, once you go through it, you you basically group, which is the group that you go with the group. You meet once a week, and it's a support group. It's almost like a 12-step program. And the things that you talk about is piety, study, and action. So this is how Mm. you keep your soil going. Because as we remember, the apostles went two-by-twos. So you can't take the whole world by yourself. You actually need that support group to help you.
0: Yeah, we, we do need support in, 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 in the Catholic life for sure. And, and I think also just in general, retreats are very, very important. Jesus kind of took his apostles on retreats. If you will, they tried to get away by themselves. We we, we kind of need to retreat from the world, from the busyness of it in order to get back into it and serve, um, our, uh, the world and, and everyone around us better. And, Rudy, that's a great tip. Hey, appreciate you calling in once again. Is Rudy a Disney movie? Rudy from Disney? Probably uh, not. I work there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so I know, I know you do, but I'm just. Oh, okay. I, I mentioned one, the movie Rudy. I, I don't know whether it's him. owned by Disney or not. Probably not. But anyways, uh, and and the other thing, real quick. Sorry about that. Two things. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, for the marriage
1: and family mm-hmm. counter, I had a friend. He said, when you have a fight, do not say sorry. Say, will you forgive me? Which well, carries a lot me. more weight mm. compared to. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry.
0: Mm. Yeah, so. that's uh, uh, that, that's a good tip, but uh, you know, I'm sorry you felt that way. That's a, that's not a good thing either to say. So, it, Rudy, I appreciate that. Appreciate the call, Rudy from Disney in Orange County, California. You're listening to the Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. Call back anytime, Rudy. It's good to hear from you. All right, let's um, let's go back to the phone lines here. Let's go to Judy in Wisconsin. Hi, Judy. Hi, Cal. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Just,
1: yeah. This has just been really fun and fantastic information that you're sharing.
0: Thank you. Thank I you.
1: wanted to add that, that one thing, that we've been married 30 years, and last year we went to a small conference that was, the idea there was that a couple should pray together every day,
0: mm. and we had
1: never been doing that.
0: Mm-hmm, and so mm-hmm. we
1: started to do that last year after 30 years.
0: Yeah, you know, it's it, it's interesting that you say that Judy. I think I think that scares a lot of couples. I think that scares a lot of people because let's face it when when we pray, when we're really praying, we're we're pretty vulnerable. We're we're sort of laying our soul bare and that scares people more than uh, you know the act of marriage itself. Sometimes, you know, in terms of intimacy, I think I think it, it freaks people out. It freaks people out. It's like th- this is it's a very very personal thing, but I do I do believe that when when couples pray together, husbands and wives, that that it does sort of add this element and strengthen the the relationship. And I think families need to pray together too, and involve the kids and and pray the rosary together. It's that's why we had the family rosary across America on Relevant Radio and. Families, it, it, it's 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 trite, but it's a truism. Families that pray together do stay together. It, they have a much better shot at it, anyways. And I think I think couples also. I think incorporating some element of a prayer life um, with with your spouse, I think, is is an important thing to do as well. So so thanks thanks so much for raising that, Judy. That's a really really good point. That was Judy in Wisconsin, thanks for calling in on the Kale Clark Show. And we had a couple of off-air callers that were maybe a little bit too shy to to come on air. And uh, Miranda, who's uh, who's taking the, the phone calls right now, 888-914-9149, One listener said this: um, My favorite one of the points that you mentioned uh, is that when you don't tell anyone else what's going on with you and your spouse, it's safer that way. And, and that was a reference to not involving third parties with you know marriage disputes, non professional third parties. Now there may be times when you have to talk to a priest. You have to consult. Uh, maybe it's a question of uh, morality or something to touch on church teachings. Yeah, of course. Um, sometimes couples do have to go for, for marriage counseling. There are lots of great Catholic marriage counselors out there. But we're talking non-professional third parties, uh, family members, uh, pals, a um, hey, Joe from my uh, my pickup basketball squad is going to adjudicate our marriage issues here. Is, are you okay with that, sweetie? Uh, n- not a good idea usually. Um, <laughs> there's certain things that uh, should be sacrosanct, and um, yeah, so th- that can be tr- really tricky. And and it's also usually super awkward for the other people as well. I don't, I don't think most people relish being brought into these situations. Uh, but that's a, that's a good point. Another another caller. Um, was wanting to know, what was the book that I mentioned yesterday by St. Francis? That is a good question. I don't even remember what book I mentioned by St. Francis yesterday. By St. Francis or Pope Francis? Um, I don't know. Um, that, that We'll think about that. We'll think about that. Maybe, Producer Jim, do you remember? Um, I have a memory of a goldfish these days. I don't even remember the last five minutes. Um, Jim doesn't either. So, But I will talk about another uh, Francis, and that is... St. Francis de Sales. Let's go first of all to Leo in Front Royal, Virginia. Hi, Leo. Hello. Hi. How are you? Doing great. Thanks for calling. Uh, Truly
1: important. St. Francis de Sales is really quite famous for uh, overturning or well, arguing against the uh, Albigensian um, heresy, I think it was, or another one. And with Mm. his argument in favor of the sign of the cross, and you know, Revelation talks about the sign. People greet mm-hmm. each other mm-hmm. with the sign.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. And uh, in the book of Revelation, it talks about um, the the towel, if you will, the people being marked. Thank thank you so much, Leo, for your call. Um, people being marked uh, on their foreheads and sealed by by God, and they are safe. Uh, from from all the uh, the tribulation that's coming, and that it's it's really interesting because in the book of Ezekiel it talks about people being marked with a a tau, the Hebrew letter tau, uh, on their foreheads, and that is actually it's it's interesting because that letter looks like almost like a Franciscan cross. If you've ever seen one of those, it looks like kind of a T, a T-shaped cross. So definitely a foreshadowing of the sign of the cross when we mark our foreheads. Uh, with it, very often before the reading of the gospel, we will sign our foreheads and our lips and our hearts. May the word of God dwell richly in our minds. May we meditate on it, think about it. May we preach it, proclaim it uh, with our lips, and 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 really believe it in our hearts, and 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 learn to love like Christ did on the cross. That, that's so key, and we we do this all the time. But let's let's talk about Saint Francis de Sales for a second here, because this is a, he's a, such a great saint, and. If you ever get a chance to read this book, this is awesome spiritual reading. I highly recommend it. The book is so old, it's it's in the public domain, so you, you can find free copies of it online, but you can also order actual books. It's called An Introduction to the Devout Life, An Introduction to the Devout Life by St. Francis de Sales. Now, what's great about this is that he kind of predated uh, the Second Vatican Council by centuries with, with its message of the universal call to holiness, that everybody is called to become a saint. And that's not new to Vatican II either. This is part of the original Catholic Christian message, but it kind of got obscured over time, needed to be brought back to the forefront. And these are actually a series of letters that he wrote, spiritual direction letters that he wrote, and it was often done by correspondents back then, to a housewife. And he expected her to reach the heights of sanctity. He expected her to be a canonizable saint, you know, be in her own stained glass window one day. And it's very, very practical, very down to earth. It is great, great spiritual reading for you today. Introduction to the Devout Life by St. Francis de Sales. But having said that, he was born in 1567 in France. And his dad, it was one of those situations where I read a great article about this by Michael Heinlein. Um, he basically said his dad has whole life already planned out for him. And a lot of you guys have had parents like that. Maybe you are that parent. You are planning your kid's life out to a T he wanted him to be a lawyer he wanted him to be a judge he 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 just envis- envisioned him driving driving a lamborghini down the streets of you know paris i i don't know god had other plans because he had another father in heaven who had a much much different plan for saint francis de sales life so he he went to really the best schools that that, that money could buy uh, back then and he studied philosophy he was in private school if you will rhetoric theology he went to a Jesuit-run college in Paris. He got his baccalaureate degree in 1584. And then he studied theology and two more master's degrees. I mean, it's just an insane level of accomplishment. Then he got a doctorate in law in Italy, and in Padua, in 1591. And so his professors were just floored by this guy, how, how erudite he was, how, how incredibly brilliant he was. And he had a—it was because he was kind of a, of the nobility, if you will— he had something that a lot of students didn't have. He actually had a servant accompany him throughout all his studies like a personal butler, like Alfred or something. And, and then he also had a priest who was also a tutor to him. like So he had a, his own personal priest who would, who would help him with his studies and hear his confessions or whatever. Unbelievable. And then he also got to do what they called at the time gentlemanly formation, which sounds kind of fun, actually. Lessons in fencing, boxing. Man, this is cool. Uh, dancing lessons, hey, you know, for, for the ladies, uh, horseback riding, uh, dressage, you know, it was like equestrian events, if you will. So he was really a Renaissance man, St. Francis de Sales. And his life was looking good. His future looked bright, so bright he had to wear shades. But unfortunately, um, this is this is really when the Protestant Revolution was breaking out. And John Calvin, uh, who, who really, I mean, Luther didn't go far enough for John Calvin. John, and John Calvin said, we've got to go even more intense here. And in Geneva, Switzerland, boy, you want to talk about a theocracy? Geneva, Switzerland was a theocracy where, where basically the church, the, the Protestant you know, Calvinists basically ran that whole city. And there was no separation between church and state there, that's for sure. Um, and so many, many Catholics uh, fell away from the faith, uh, embraced Calvinism, and, and even in his own personal life, St. Francis de Sales was drawn towards Calvinism, but it really did a number on him in, in so many ways. This, this doctrine, we, we've been talking about this too on the, on the Faith Explained show, um, St. Paul's letter to the Romans. Calvinists, hardcore Calvinists have this doctrine of double predestination. They think that God has predestined certain people to go to heaven, and he's predestined other people to go to hell. And, and by the way, you can pick and, and choose a few verses from the Bible that, that make a pretty convincing case for this. So this is why we need the magisterium, the teaching office of the church. But Francis Sales, he was kind of drawn to this, and he became very kind of depressed. And this is, a lot of people are struggling with depression, especially at this time of year. And, and he was exhausted just thinking about this, because he kept thinking, am I predestined for eternal damnation? And the truth of the matter is that no one is predestined to eternal damnation. God wants Everyone to come to, to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth, as scripture says. Anyways, he, he just kind of gave it all over to God. And maybe you guys can get something out of this as well. Uh, one day he visited a, fa- a famous chapel in Paris dedicated to Our Lady under the title of Our Lady of Good Deliverance. And he was delivered from all these negative thoughts. He abandoned himself completely, abandoned himself to divine providence, to the will of God. And just, I just got to lay it all at your feet. And, and And he he was in that that church, and he happened to see the Memorare prayer that was written, you know, sort of an inscription in in that church. And that was, of course, composed by the the great St. Bernard of Clairvaux. And he he read that Memorare prayer, and we pray it every day on Relevant Radio. And he felt immediate peace, immediate tranquility. And and he, he prayed that prayer every day for the rest of his life. And so, anyways, he eventually disappointed his dad big time, uh became a priest (laughs) and and really the two of them had a really tough relationship going forward they barely spoke to one another after that um and and he was very successful in trying to convert many people back to catholicism from calvinism he wrote these little tracts, these pamphlets he'd slip under people's doors uh people would find them and they'd try to get the latest copy what's he saying now um you'll probably have a blog if he was alive today or he'd be on twitter and he was chased. He was hounded. Literally, there, there was one time when a farmer sent a pack of wild dogs after him, and he had to run up a tree and sleep in the tree for the whole night. Um, so, but, but he's an incredible, incredible saint. And again, when you look at his teaching on the universal call to holiness, that is so key for today. Uh, and it's so important to, that, that we really understand this, that all of us are called to become canonized saints just like him. Just like him. And you think, no, not me. That, this is for other people. No, it is for you. And so uh, he's a doctor of the church, by the way, and um, patron of writers, interestingly enough. So he, he, uh, Pope Paul VI said about um, St. Francis de Sales, no one of the recent doctors of the church, more than St. Francis de Sales, anticipated the decisions of the Second Vatican Council with such a keen and progressive insight. Um, and so, yeah, he, he's, he is so relevant, even today. And we're on relevant radio, so we had to, to talk about... Him. Really important. How much time we got, Jim? Two minutes. All right, let's try to take a quick phone call here. Let's go to Lori in Chicago. Hi, Lori. We got about one minute here.
1: Hi, kale Judy is, Judy is absolutely right. My husband and I didn't play enough, mm. and it didn't give our marriage trouble. But you should play more during your marriage, and make sure you make a priority of your marriage as much as you can, even if you're trying to harmonize with other friends who won't harmonize with you. And I am proud of two people. One is dead now. Pat Boone was married to Shirley Boone for 65 years, from 1953 to 2019, before she died.
0: That, that that is amazing. Let me jump in there, Lori, because we're, we're all just about out of time. But but thank you so much for for mentioning that for for backing up that caller. Yeah, that you, we really have to pray together and pray with our spouse. And one of the ways you can do that is coming up just an hour from now, the Family Rosary Across America with Father Rocky. Lots of married couples, lots of families gather all across America to pray together, uh, and our relevant radio family as well, kind of your extended family here on the airwaves and. Right after this show, of course, Trending with Timory is coming up, so stay tuned for that. And if you didn't get a chance to listen to The Faith Explained today at 1230 Central, check it out. Because we had an interesting Q&A. We have a Q&A segment in every show. And a listener asked a really intriguing question about what did Jesus eat in a day? <laughs> what, what was it? What was his diet? It's something I never really had considered in in, in any depth, so did, did a little bit of research on it. And uh, so check that out. I think it'll give you a lot of food for thought, no pun intended. Well, maybe it was intended, let's be honest. Uh, And there's, by the way, there's also a little Easter egg in there that I put in there for all you movie buffs out there, so you'll have to listen to find it. So check the podcast on the relevant radio app, wherever you get your podcasts. This has been the Kale Clark Show. Jim Shaper produced, Miranda Siniceros took your phone calls. God bless you all. Take it away, Michaela.
1: Thank you for listening to my daddy.